The title for the evening talk is Coming Home. Now, where is this home we are coming to? Right before dinner, I went out uh, to the towards the river. And I felt suddenly submerged among the trees, in the grass, under the sky, looking at the river. Everything seemed to sort of penetrate in my being. And I felt totally at home. Then I started walking around a little bit. And suddenly I saw some less than 10 yards from me, three deer. They looked at me. I looked at them from the corner of my eye, just, uh, you know, be discreet, so I didn't scare them. One of them continued to eat as if nothing had happened. The other two put up their ears as they usually do and uh, looked at me and followed me as I peeked. I was home with them too, clearly. Then coming to this hall. Well, it's true I have been before, but it's a, it's a magnificent place which, which has a, the fragrance of history somehow. So one feels, I feel, I should say, to speak for myself, I feel at home too. not just in the building itself physically, but in, in much that I imagine has gone through it. And then there's a community of you all, me included, what we can call a village that we put together in a way that comes together for the weekend. Is that home? Is the hall home? Are the woods home? The river? Or is it perhaps this body-mind of each one of us? That's a home. Or is it the world at large? That's home. Or is it perhaps an attitude of mind? So, this is the agenda for the talk. This is 
the stuff that I wish to examine with you tonight. So that we can, in fact, find ways of homing in to our home. Let's start by considering this community, this village this, that came together this weekend. This village with its radiance. With all the memories of other times that we've been here or in other retreats, uh, some of us, not everybody, some of you have, are coming here for the first time. So we have uh, a, a new bodies in the village too. And so there's memories of other retreats triggered by being here. And, and the retreats is not just the coming together, it's the, the experiences that we've had on retreats where we touched deeply into the ground of our own being. And then collectively, because things said on, in inquiries or in groups resonate in us. Important things that one person said and, and had a resonance in another person. So there is there's much of a sense of being home in all of that, of coming home in all of that. And yet I, I have to recognize that sometimes, for some of us, and I include myself, retreat feels just the opposite, just the opposite. We come to a retreat, and all these people, and they say nothing to us. Sometimes they don't even look at us. And we can feel at times, and it's quite appropriate, alienated in the unfamiliar silence. And then the, the beauty of all this process is we are open to that. But then also, at times there's a shift. And suddenly, we are touched by our, I'm, I am touched. One of you is touched by the, the being community. Now, I'm fond, fond of this uh, metaphor, and I've used it before, 
So forgive me if uh, it sounds like a repeat. But as we got into ourselves, deep into ourselves, to me it's like digging a well in our garden. And as we go deep enough into the garden, we reach the water table. And what's the water table but the communicating vehicle that communicates all the wells and everybody? So it's a little bit like that, too. We go in, and wow, hey, I'm in contact. Let me share with you these uh, verses from Rumi. Rumi, perhaps you know, is a 13th century Afghan poet. This poem is called A Community of the Spirit. There is a community of the spirit. Join it and feel the delight of walking into the noisy street and being the noise. Drink all your passion and be a disgrace. Close both eyes to see with a third eye. Open your hands if you want to be held. Sit down in this circle. Quit acting like a wolf and feel the shepherd's love feeling you. At night, your beloved wonders don't accept consolations. Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open. Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. Flow down and down in always widening rings of peace. And so there are these forever widening circles or rings of being which brook no separation between inner and outer life. That's the magic of the retreat. They call forth a village that accompanies us in a whole variety of different circumstances. A village that can accompany us when we walk alone and in silence. A village that can accompany us riding in a crowded subway in New York City. A village that can come and visit us 
when we are sitting by ourselves in retreat, and while we are socializing with friends. There's a proverbial dialogue between the Buddha and Ananda, his uh, beloved uh, assistant, um, attendant, that's the word. Ananda says to the Buddha, that for him, friendship is half of a holy life. And the Buddha disagrees with him. He said, not so, Ananda. Not so, Ananda. Friendship is the whole of the holy life. In other words, once again, going in and going out is part of the same movement. And this can certainly be illustrated, as I often do, uh, talking about the five precepts that we keep in retreats. It's useful to remind everybody the beginning of a retreat of what those precepts are, and they, they offer a beautiful illustration of that, no separation between inner and outer. The, the five precepts, are, to put them briefly, are no kill, killing, no stealing, right speech, no sexual misconduct, no intoxicants. So let's consider, for instance, no killing. In the context of a retreat, of course, that basically means no killing little insects, little bugs. Suppose that's the only thing that we would consider killing. I suppose. I don't know. So. It, it helps protecting those small creature, creatures in our midst, sure. But also, and very fundamentally, it protects our mind, both individual mind and collective mind, from corrupt, corruption by cruelty or indifference. That would be the the real casualty of the, the killing. So the, this is an example where the precept acts inside us and outside us in one fell swoop. Same thing. Very much the same can be said about not stealing, not taking what is not freely given. You know, you steal something, I think, if you do, if I do, damage myself more than anybody else, more likely. Third precept, right speech, of course, as I said before, in the context of the retreat, that means silence, except in the times appointed for 
exchanges, inquiry, groups, and interviews. And, and this quenching of speech works both outwardly and innerly. As we create silence with others, silence of speech, of communication, we also begin to cultivate silence inside ourselves. And as anybody who sits knows, that is not an easy task. The mind is used to chatter to itself over and over again. And finally, the, the last two precepts about sexual activity, which in the context of retreat means no, no sexual activity for the weekend. And uh, intoxicants in this context means no intoxicants, including no alcohol. Not, not to say there's anything wrong with sexual activity, not to say there's anything wrong with, with alcohol unless you're addicted. In both cases, in fact, there's a problem of addiction, but not of activity. But in the retreat, we need that silence. Nor that there's anything wrong with speaking in other circumstances, quite the contrary. But here, we cultivate silence. So I've been mostly talking about uh, what happens outside us. Let me take a little bit about what happens inside us. In other words, the finding a home in this, that, whatever, in your or my body-mind, body and mind. Well, for those of you who come to retreats, is a pretty obvious assertion. It's not what our culture tends to uh, sort of put in our minds. Our culture, quite the contrary, tends to suggest over and over again, suggest to us, that everything that's of, of value is outside us. And we have to go and get it. So, if we are going to look for a home, we tend to, if we follow the injunctions of our culture, look for it outside us. At times, it may involve a partner. Okay. 
provided in the process we don't neglect connecting with ourselves. Because after all, the inner is what's immediately accessible to us. So that's where we need to start. If I am going to connect with you, how could I possibly do it unless I'm connected with myself? Otherwise, what I offer is just fake. You know, it's like those phoning machines. I don't know whether you get those calls. I get them occasionally. They're trying to sell you something or persuade you to vote for somebody. And so, whenever these phoning machines, you know, come on my phone, I generally ask, are you a machine? <laughs> of course, the machines don't answer, but you know what? Occasionally, somebody does answer. <laughs> so, it wasn't a machine, but it was a machine-like person, obviously. <laughs> No difference, you see. So that's the problem. How, how could I connect with a, a person that's reading from a script? And so, there can be no contact, no intimacy, no home in a relationship unless both sides are in contact with themselves, are at home with themselves. Each one at home with their own rich diversity and with the diversity of the other through the contact. The French have a beautiful word that I haven't been able to translate. Well, it's just not in the English dictionary. In the English language, I'm sorry. Dictionary have translations, but then they're not appropriate. The word is apprivoiser. Apprivoiser can be translated as befriending, as making friends with, but it goes much deeper than that. When it refers to a relationship to animals, then the English translation Perhaps it's more or less appropriate, it's taming. But of course, taming generally has the connotation of dominating the animal, not coming into intimacy with it. Um, some of you may be familiar with the classical French book called The Little Prince. It's a children's book, actually. The author is a great French writer, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And in his narrative, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry uses the word apprivoisé, which I will try to translate. 
It, this is about the encounter between the little prince who's visiting the earth from an asteroid and a fox who lives on the earth. And, and the fox and the little prince begin to make friends. And so the fox gazed at the little prince for a long time and said, please tame me, apprivoise, apprivoise, moi. He said, I want to very much, the little prince replied, but I have not much time. I have friends to discover and a great many things to understand. Fox says, one only understands the things that one tames, a privoise. People have no more time to understand anything. They buy things already made at the shops, but there's no shop anywhere where one can buy friendships. And so people have no friends anymore. If you want a friend, tame me. What must I do, asked the little prince, to tame you, to apprivoise you? You must be very patient, replied the fox. First, you will sit down at a little distance from me, like that, in the grass, I shall look at you out of the corner of my eye, and you will say nothing, nothing. Words are the source of misunderstandings, but you will sit a little closer to me every day. And so goes the story. This little fragment to me shows how much wiser animals are than we are. Not necessarily because of what Antoine de saint luc Superi says, but any of us who've been with animals know that they, they're not deceived. They know. It's true in, in this little story, things got a little hairy when the little prince decides he's ready to go. There's sadness and for both, indicating that their hearts are open, that's a good part. But there's also some clinging. And as some of you know, clinging can easily subvert intimacy. turning intimacy into a sort of ownership. But, you know, as a Buddha and many others constantly remind us, if there's a problem, it's with the clinging, not with the love, not with the intimacy. 
So in the end of the, this particular story of the fox and the little prince, finally, they find a way of letting go of each other. It's very beautiful. And so, as Rumi was saying, that this forever expanding circles or rings of intimacy that expand from our body-mind to our community to the animals that we apprivoise, tame, and who tame us as well, and who tame us as well, yeah, very important. <laughs> like the fox was taming the little prince. To all beings, in fact, and to the whole world. And so, the whole world becomes our home. Well, maybe, maybe that's not right. Maybe that's not right. No, that's not right. It's not that the whole world becomes our home. The whole world has been our home forever. Just we discover it. We become aware of it. We become aware that the whole world is our home. Through practice, we become aware of it. The practice of sitting and walking, yes. But also, and more fundamentally perhaps, the practice of being aware of what goes on inside us, outside us. The practice of love and intimacy. Just by opening our hearts or by being in a close relationship, it doesn't matter how. It's not a matter of then of turning in or turning out. It's a matter of turning inside out, if you wish, opening up. Opening up to each moment. The poet Rilke puts it very beautifully and very succinctly. He says, the inner what is it if not intensified sky? You know, the, the Buddha is known to have made this gesture on the night of his enlightenment where he pointed to the earth with his right hand. Yeah. This is, I haven't seen this recorded anywhere, but in, in statues and images of the Buddhas. Tradition testifies to that. To me, it, one, one way of reading that gesture, not the only one, of course, but one way of reading that gesture is 
to paraphrase Rilke and says in touching the earth the inner what is it but intensified earth intensified mother earth if you wish The whole world is present in us, and we are present in it. Mary Oliver puts all this very beautifully in this poem that I, I'll read part of it. Have you ever tried to enter the long branches of other lives? Try to imagine with the crisp fringes full of honey hanging from the branches of the lo young locust tree in early summer feel like? the world is only an entertainment for you? Never to enter the sea and notice how the water divides with perfect courtesy to let you in. Never to lie down on the grass as though you were the grass. Never to leap to the air as you open your wings over the dark acorn of your heart. No wonder we hear in your mournful voice the complaint that something is missing from your life. Who can open the door who does not reach for the latch? can travel the miles who does not put one foot in front of the other, all attentive to what presents itself continually. And that's the key all attentive to what presents itself continually. Practice that and you'll discover you are already home and you've always been irrevocably so. Let's sit for a few minutes silence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.